0: Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. March 5th, 1946. Winston Churchill's Iron Curtain Speech, Part 2. All this means that the people of any country have the right, and should have the power by constitutional action by free, unfettered elections, with secret ballot, to choose or change the character or form of government under which they dwell. That freedom of speech and thought should reign, that courts of justice, independent of the executive, unbiased by any party, should administer laws which have received the broad assent of large majorities, or are consecrated by time and custom. Here are the title deeds of freedom, which should lie in every cottage home. Here is the message of the British and American peoples to mankind. Let us preach what we practice. Let us practice what we preach. I have now stated the two great dangers which menace the homes of the people. War and tyranny. I have not yet spoken of poverty and privation, which are in many cases the prevailing anxiety. But if the dangers of war and tyranny are removed, there is no doubt that science and cooperation can bring in the next few years to the world, certainly in the next few decades, newly taught in the sharpening school of war, an expansion of material well-being beyond anything that has yet occurred in human experience. Now... At this sad and breathless moment we are plunged in the hunger and distress which are the aftermath of our stupendous struggle. But this will pass, and may pass quickly, and there is no reason except human folly or subhuman crime which should deny to all the nations the inauguration and enjoyment of an age of plenty." I have often used words which I learned fifty years ago from a great Irish-American orator, a friend of mine, Mr. Burke Cochran. There is enough for all. The earth is a generous mother. She will provide in plentiful abundance food for all her children, if they will but cultivate her soil in justice and in peace. So far I feel that we are in full agreement. Now while still pursuing the method of realizing our overall strategic concept, I come to the crux of what I have traveled here to say. Neither the pure prevention of war, nor the continuous rise of world organization will be gained without what I have called the fraternal association of the English-speaking peoples. This means a special relationship between the British Commonwealth and Empire and the United States. This is no time for generalities, and I will venture to be precise. Fraternal association requires not only the growing friendship and mutual understanding between our two vast but kindred systems of society, but the continuance of the intimate relationship between our military advisers leading to common study of potential dangers, the similarity of weapons and manuals of instructions, and to the interchange of officers and cadets at technical colleges. It should carry with it all the continuance of the present facilities for mutual security by the joint use of all naval and air force bases in the possession of either country all over the world. This would, perhaps, double the mobility of the American Navy and Air Force. It would greatly expand that of the British Empire forces, and it might well lead, if and as the world calms down, to important financial savings. Already we use together a large number of islands. More may well be entrusted to our joint care in the near future." The United States has already a permanent defense agreement with the Dominion of Canada, which is so devotedly attached to the British Commonwealth and Empire. This agreement is more effective than many of those which have often been made under formal alliances. This principle should be extended to all British Commonwealths with full reciprocity. Thus, whatever happens, and thus only, shall we be secure ourselves and able to work together for the high and simple causes that are dear to us, and bode no ill to any. Eventually there may come, I feel eventually there will come, the principle of common citizenship, but that we may be content to leave to destiny, whose outstretched arm many of us can already clearly see. There is, however, An important question we must ask ourselves. Would a special relationship between the United States and the British Commonwealth be inconsistent with our overriding loyalties to the world organization? I reply that, on the contrary, it is probably the only means by which that organization will achieve its full stature and strength. There are already the special United States relations with Canada, which I have just mentioned. And there are the special relations between the United States and the South American republics. We British have our 20 years treaty of collaboration and mutual assistance with Soviet Russia. I agree with Mr. Bevan, the Foreign Secretary of Great Britain, that it might well be a 50 years treaty so far as we are concerned. We aim at nothing but mutual assistance and collaboration, The British have an alliance with Portugal unbroken since 1384, and which produced fruitful results at critical moments in the late war. None of these clash with the general interest of a world agreement, or a world organization. On the contrary, they help it. In my father's house are many mansions. Special associations between members of the United Nations, which have no aggressive point against any other nation, which harbor no design incompatible with the Charter of the United Nations, far from being harmful, are beneficial, and, as I believe, indispensable. I spoke earlier of the Temple of Peace. Workmen from all countries must build that temple. If two of the workmen know each other particularly well, and are old friends, if their families are intermingled, AND IF THEY HAVE FAITH IN EACH OTHER'S PURPOSE, HOPE IN EACH OTHER'S FUTURE, AND CHARITY TOWARDS EACH OTHER'S SHORTCOMINGS, TO QUOTE SOME GOOD WORDS I READ HERE THE OTHER DAY, WHY CANNOT THEY WORK TOGETHER AT THE COMMON TASK AS FRIENDS AND PARTNERS? WHY CANNOT THEY SHARE THEIR TOOLS AND THUS INCREASE EACH OTHER'S WORKING POWERS? INDEED, THEY MUST DO SO, OR ELSE THE TEMPLE MAY NOT BE BUILT. Or being built, it may collapse, and we shall all be proved again unteachable, and have to go and try to learn again for a third time in a school of war, incomparably more rigorous than that from which we have just been released. The Dark Ages may return, the Stone Age may return on the gleaming wings of science and what might now shower immeasurable material blessings upon mankind, may even bring about its total destruction. Beware, I say. Time may be short. Do not let us take the course of allowing events to drift along until it is too late. If there is to be a fraternal association of the kind I have described— with all the extra strength and security which both our countries can derive from it, let us make sure that that great fact is known to the world, and that it plays its part in steadying and stabilizing the foundations of peace. There is the path of wisdom. Prevention is better than cure. A shadow has fallen upon the scenes so lately lighted by the Allied victory. Nobody knows what Soviet Russia and its communist international organization intends to do in the immediate future, or what are the limits, if any, to their expansive and proselytizing tendencies. I have a strong admiration and regard for the valiant Russian people and for my wartime comrade, Marshal Stalin. There is deep sympathy and goodwill in Britain. And I doubt not here also towards the people of all the Russias, and a resolve to persevere through many difficulties and rebuffs in establishing lasting friendships. We understand the Russian need to be secure on her western frontiers by the removal of all possibility of German aggression. We welcome Russia to her rightful place among the leading nations of the world. We welcome her flag upon the seas. Above all, we welcome constant, frequent and growing contacts between the Russian people and our own people on both sides of the Atlantic. It is my duty, however, for I am sure you would wish me to state the facts as I see them to you, to place before you certain facts about the present position in Europe. From Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic, an iron curtain has descended across The continent. Behind that line lie all the capitals of the ancient states of Central and Eastern Europe Warsaw, Berlin, Prague, Vienna, Budapest, Belgrade, Bucharest, and Sofia. All these famous cities and the populations around them lie in what I must call the Soviet sphere, and all are subject in one form or another not only to Soviet influence, but to a very high and, in many cases, increasing measure of control from Moscow. Athens alone, Greece with its immortal glories, is free to decide its future at an election under British, American, and French observation. The Russian-dominated Polish government has been encouraged to make enormous and wrongful inroads upon Germany and mass expulsions of millions of Germans on a scale grievous and undreamed of are now taking place. The communist parties, which were very small in all these eastern states of Europe, have been raised to preeminence and power far beyond their numbers, and are seeking everywhere to obtain totalitarian control. Police governments are prevailing in nearly every case, and so far, except in Czechoslovakia, there is no true democracy. Turkey and Persia are both profoundly alarmed and disturbed at the claims which are being made upon them and at the pressure being exerted by the Moscow government. An attempt is being made by the Russians in Berlin to build up a quasi-Communist party in their zone of occupied Germany by showing special favors to groups of left-wing German leaders. At the end of the fighting last June, the American and British armies withdrew westwards, in accordance with an earlier agreement, to a depth at some points of 150 miles upon a front of nearly 400 miles, in order to allow our Russian allies to occupy this vast expanse of territory which the Western democracies had conquered. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight.